Robert Dunn here, one of the hosts of the All Black podcast. This podcast talks to some of the greats of the game, the characters, the players, the coaches, and hopes to give you an insight into our national game. Today we talk to Ronnie Clark, one of the great Pacifica players who's played 150 games for Auckland, 50 for the Blues, and 10 tests for the All Blacks. In the first half of the show, we talked to Ronnie about his role as Pacifica Engagement Manager with New Zealand Rugby, his reaction to the announcement of the Moana Pacifica team and the Fiji Jura for the new competition in 2022, and being the dad of Caleb as he rises through the rugby ranks in New Zealand. In the second half of the show, we talked to Ronnie about his career, a young man born in Apia, coming through a non-traditional rugby school, Henderson High School, being a part of the hugely successful Auckland side and Auckland Blues sides in the 90s, and representing the All Blacks. Enjoy the pod. Listen on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere you get your favourite podcasts. <laughs> yes, boy, you've got to enjoy that. It's McKenzie's face again. Gets the pass away for Lampy. Oh, <laughs> welcome to the All Black Podcast. Awesome guest today. Very timely guest as well. Welcome to the studio, Ronnie Clark. How are you going? It's great to be here, Rob. Always good to be here. Thank you. Mate, what's going on at the moment? What's a, what's a normal day look like for Ronnie Clark? I suspect you're a bit of a busy man. Uh, absolutely, particularly in the last few weeks as well. But um, my normal day-to-day job, I'm the Pacifica Engagement Manager at New Zealand Rugby. And that really entails a lot of things in terms of just thinking about the aspirations of Pacific peoples within um, New Zealand. But also too, I mean, if you think about the contribution of Pacific to just New Zealand Rugby, I mean... Yes, I think I, I was seven-year-old when I first watched the All Blacks play, and the All Blacks were playing that, um, the 75 waterlogged game at Eden <laughs> Park. And Dad said, son, watch the number 11. It was Sir Brian Williams. And he was amazing. And I think for me that, that, that captured one thing for me. It, it, it inspired me to perhaps to consider that this boy born in the, in the islands could play for the All Blacks like Brian Williams. So, And the other thing too, it was probably the first time I'd ever seen a Pacific person in the All Blacks, and let alone it was the first rugby game that I ever watched as well. So I, it, it's something that kind of continued in my mind and in my heart over the years, um, growing up too. So oh, that's brilliant, and like we could do a whole another podcast on Sir Brian. But I imagine mm. too, not only is he an inspiration for so many Pacifica players like yourself growing up, but also, um, you know, it's well storied his first trip to South Africa and what an inspiration he was for the coloured community in South Africa as well. So he's an absolute trailblazer, legend. wasn't he? He's a legend of a man. <laughs> What's um. Exactly um, what are you trying um, to develop and inspire? Is it more getting Pacifica people into the management of the game, into government roles more so than playing and that sits with other people? Is that a big focus for you? That's a, that's actually a really good good point there too, is uh, thinking about, I mean, New Zealand, uh, within New Zealand rugby, we're looking at the contribution of Pacific. I mean, Auckland alone, over 50% of their, um, r- their, their rugby population are Pacific and if, if you go through other, the other major centres in New Zealand, Wellington's very similar as well but they really think about it then we're contributing hugely on the field but what about some of the other different areas around um, off field like coaching like administration, even governance as well, thinking about how do if we're, if we're, if we're making huge contribution on the field, how can we make contribution at, at governance level, at administrative levels, even coaching as well. We're starting to see numbers coming through in the coaching. What about refereeing? I mean, yeah. just the other day I was thinking about it, considering, I mean, we, we, we give the referees so much of a hard time, <laughs> but and I was thinking, when will it be that we'd see a Pacific you know, person in New Zealand um, as one of our referees, one of our top referees? Wouldn't that be a vision to hold? And I think, gosh, he'd be taking the, the same sort of, thing, um, same sort of um, hard case you know, 
yeah. feedback from from the crowds as well and other things too. Uh, totally. I, I, I'd actually like to see that because I think players are less likely to argue with the ref if it was a Ronnie Clark <laughs> whistle rather than Glenn Jackson. That's just personally my observation. But um, And, you know, from my experiences in rugby, Pacifica players, they're such humble people, you know, like they don't always necessarily put their hands up for those types of roles. Um, so is that a part of your job is to get around, encourage them, let them know where those opportunities are, let them know the types of things they can do off the field in their community and also a little bit of identification, looking at the people within the Pacifica community and saying, I think someone that's someone who has fantastic leadership skills, has fantastic skills at being able to you know, run the game off the field. That's quite perceptive, Rob, in, saying, <laughs> in terms of just thinking that, that we are a, a collectivist community and society as well and and blowing our own trumpet or other things yep. like that, it's not something that we like to do. Often, so many of us get it's, it's shoulder tapped in terms of encouraging them into moving into different types of um, roles where we, where we don't, where we're not populated like the, the, the pop, like governance, like administrative, like coaching. So we, we, we really want to start to look at how do we encourage them to creating pathways into those, um, into those uh, more uncommon areas where Pacific aren't. So I think that's what's really trying to create those opportunities, but also too trying to really identify how can we increase the, if, if, they, if they do, how can we also create their capability or, or increase their capability be able to, so they can serve in those areas a lot better as well. Mate, awesome. Sounds like a fantastic job, really fulfilling. And also it flows on nicely to the fact that uh, very recently we've had the announcement of the Moana Pacifica and Fiji Jura sites. Um, mate, your reaction when you heard the news, I'm sure you're very much finger on the pulse, but you must have been pretty excited. Yeah, oh, it's, 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 you know, it's, 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 you know I, I, I think back to our parents. The reason we came to New Zealand, I mean, it's so that our so that we, as as our, uh, the children, this this generation, can have a better opportunity at life, and you know when we watch and then we grow and we see like role models in different spaces. We saw Brian Williams back in those days. So, and of course, when we started coming through, we realised that again for the next generation, seeing role models, seeing themselves in those places. Could we really, as Pacific, see ourselves playing in our own Pacific team within Aotearoa, where the greatest rugby teams are, where the greatest rugby players are, are born and they come from and they're grown and they're developed. So having Moana as part of the this new competition for next year and even Drua, it gives a real wonderful opportunity for many pathways for Pacific as well. But it also said really, I mean, I can just, the community, the Pacific community will be, there'll be a lot of obviously celebrating to see this um, really come to fruition. I think that's what we're really kind of thinking about and seeing here. But it also, it creates pathways for for many young uh, young men um, and not just Pacific as well I think that's the the thing to really think about it's not just Pacific that are going to be part of this though the majority will be but certainly creates opportunities for other players as well so I think that's that's what this really kind of um, this really signals to um, to the rugby community and I think the wonderful thing about it too Rob is we'll see that you know hopefully we'll see more of that flair that Pacific flair that we're we're so used to and we're, we're seeing as well. Um, and we'll see more of it too. So, yeah. Oh, totally. Like, I mean, Pacifica players are uh, all around the world, aren't they? They are. They are in the UK. They are in France. Um, they're in Super Rugby Aotearoa. They're in Australia, and they're in the Shoot Shield in the Australian Super Rugby teams. They're great providers of talent. So to have something in our own backyard, you know, something that is in their neighbourhood for a lot of them, or um, you know, something that's here in New Zealand has got to be really motivational. And like you say, can see 
that pathway because, I mean, a lot of Pacifica players, uh, like you say, it's all about the community, isn't it? And it's about supporting your community. If you can do that closer than, closer to home than having to go yeah. you know, on a big flight, get on the other side of the world to do that, yeah. um, that's got to be a great opportunity for a number of our young people as yeah, well. I, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, Rob. It's, it is it is about um, retaining our players here in the Southern Hemisphere, here and particularly in New Zealand as well. And I think the wonderful thing about it too, it's a, it's a wonderful way, and I think it's a, it is a real... Um, for me, when I, I think about New Zealand rugby and I think about the, the heart towards Pacific players and the Pacific rugby, it's going to strengthen Tonga. It's going to strengthen Samoa. And, of course, Fiji is just going to continue to grow on this this, this rapid rise with that they're, they're, we're seeing with them at the moment too. So we can see these international teams, you know, making the quarterfinals of, of, of world rugby again, you know, really pushing to become a tier one nation. So I think that's the, probably the wonderful thing seeing that we're seeing here, that New Zealand rugby are really behind it and supporting this, which is great. I remember uh, the opening game of the 2011 World Cup. It was Tonga versus New Zealand. I went along to that game, and I remember I was in the Britomart. I was having a couple of beers, getting ready for the match, and my plan was to jump on the train at Britomart, take it down to Eden Park, jump off and watch the game. Too busy. It was absolutely <laughs> chockers. So um, I took the walk. There was sort of a, a theme yes. walk down there. I took it all the way uh, to Eden Park. Probably took me an hour or two. Um, the atmosphere, particularly, that was created by the Tongan supporters was unreal. Absolutely unreal. And if we even see sort of a fraction of that sort of support uh, for Pacifica team here, I think we're in for something pretty special, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. And you can you imagine that every week? Can you see it oh. every time? And I think that's that's going to be the the amazing thing. I mean, you know, with with when when you really think about it, it's 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 the community seeing their their own. They they're actually seeing a lot of their own. I mean, it's happening now. We're seeing so many of our Maori and Pacific throughout all of our Super Aotearoa teams globally as well, which is amazing. So you can imagine the, the, the joy, that the smiles and the faces of Pacific people when they see their own there. Now we have our own team, which is something that they can continue to celebrate. And I think that's something too that really does warm the hearts of our Pacific communities, particularly towards New Zealand rugby too. So that's, I think, a win-win. Mate, for you or Ronnie, um, what does success look like for the side or the, the, the two sides in the first couple of years? What would you like to see um, that says to you, um, this is a successful side, this is contributing to the competition that it's going to be in? I think whether one of them is going to be fans. Or probably that, that's always, a, I think, for us, seeing the crowds coming back to the, to the grounds. I think that's going to be great. In terms of playing, I mean, it's, you know, I'd love to see, uh, yeah, um, <laughs> I was just thinking, gosh, straight away my mind went to the Blues versus Moana I'm thinking, oh, gosh, wow. <laughs> Ooh, so, you know, I think that's going to be a, that'll be a bit of a, bit of a, um, a, a, a scratch. You certainly one for me there, but certainly I'm, what I can see in terms of it's the sustainability of this team, the ability to continue to making sure that we're creating really strong um, um, pathways, not just for the players, but that it's sustainable, that we're seeing that it's going to be not just there for the first year or the second year, that we can see that there's a there's a pathway that they're creating good infrastructures within Moana Pasifika so that we can see it even after 10 years. Um, and so I think 
if, if we think about, <laughs> we're thinking about, I'm thinking about the Jaguars, I'm thinking about yep. the Sunwolves and how their introduction into, um, into Super Rugby and how long it took for them to really establish. I mean, we've seen now the Jaguars make the finals of Super, yep. Super Rugby. So can we see something very similar in terms of Moana Pasifika in a few years' time, making the, 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 the semis, making the finals? I mean, that would be wonderful. I'd like to see a couple of wins there, uh, certainly sure. over the, these next two, two or three the two or three years. Um, 50% of their, for me, I mean, I'm just thinking 50% of their games, it's a tough competition. Super rugby, or it, rugby here in the Southern Hemisphere, Australia, New Zealand, Moana Pacifica draw, it's going to be a really tough competition. So even winning quarter of your games, is, that's going to be huge as well. So for me, that's that's what we kind of be really, I'm, I'm thinking about in terms of success. Well, we saw we tasted at the end of last year with the Maldives and Pacifica game, which was which is an awesome game, and hopefully we'll get elements of that when the, the Moana Pacifica team starts up. So where are we at? We've got Kevin Senio has come over from the New Zealand Rugby Players Association to be the general manager of the side, is that right? Yep, absolutely. So I no doubt um, in terms of just, I think, looking at the, uh, the, the time, pathway I did, I did I'd expect they'll be having they're getting their coaches um, very soon recruiting them recruiting the players obviously going to be happening very very quickly as well so no doubt their committee um, led by um, of course uh, by Kevin and and the, and the chairs will be really looking to bringing their team together very soon so I think that's <laughs> you'd have to be getting pretty, pretty together pretty soon so um, we'll just keep watching that space um, especially as New Zealand rugby will certainly will be supporting them as well so yeah it'll be good it's pretty exciting because obviously, you know, straight away to default to the players that are here in New Zealand and the players we see a lot of, maybe we think about some of the ones in Australia, but the catchment area for both these teams is world rugby, is yes. global rugby. When you look, you cannot look at a team sheet in the world at the moment and not see a Pacifica or a Fijian player, can you? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, the, it's quite amazing when you really see that the, the diaspora of the diaspora of, of Pacific throughout the rugby community globally and you kind of think about it, you know, I, I've always, for me, I've always seen that New Zealand rugby should always have the template, should always be leading in terms of, um, uh, and, and world leaders and connecting with, particularly with Pacific. Um, if, if I suppose if when you think about um, when the world looks at how do we connect better with Pacific peoples, New Zealand rugby really shows, should be showing the way. And I think that's what's really important here, and that's what we're seeing. We're seeing again New Zealand rugby leading the way, encouraging the 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 the, the, the introduction of Pacific teams and Super Rugby here, again. And it's really does it, it really does kind of highlight New Zealand rugby unifying and inspiring. And so that's what we're doing here. So I think that's that's what we want to do. We want to you know continue to 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 be the 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 leaders and really inspiring um, the Pacific um, rugby, inspiring um, here in New Zealand. And, of course, it really does show a template to the world as well. I think that's what we're seeing. Exciting times. You know, it's uh, inspired to dust off the boots, mate. You're starting to look uh, pretty sprightly there at the end of match fit. You know, you're starting to get pretty fit. There's, uh, you know, maybe a father-son combo next year. <laughs> oh, boy. The writing's got to be in the sky for that to really happen. But no, no, no keep them going. Mate, and, you know, touch on it just a little bit there. Um, you know, you've got such a strong heritage with the Blues to see your son playing for them now. Um, pretty emotional way when he first put on that Blues jersey. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the the, the, the crazy thing about it is that, I mean, 
he was running around as a little kid, you know, around the the, the Blues training grounds and the, on the grounds at Eden Park and in the changing rooms with, with all the other players. And, and he grew up around them. And it yep. was the wonderful thing for me. It, obviously, it warms the heart to see him progress. as a And then as, as a father, watching him over the years growing and really seeing a, that he stands out in this game. You're seeing some of the skills. You're seeing some of the talent. You're seeing some of the speed. And then you're, you're seeing him play on the field. And, of course, to, to go on and play for the Blues, obviously, that's just and Auckland as well, and of course into the All Blacks, Rob. That's just a, a dream come true for any parent. Is you know, it's just amazing. It's got to be pretty cool. We had Kevy on the pod, and and he said, you know, he held a young Caleb in his arms, <laughs> you know, in the change room or around the around the practice fields for the Blues. So to see, um, you know, a second generation of mm. Blues players, it's quite a young competition. So to see that second generation come through, it's got to be pretty awesome. Um, you know, you're, it's actually the 20th set of father-son All Blacks. Um, yeah, most recently, um, Tom and Warwick Taylor and, and, Gary and Gary and Dan Braid. But, like, it's a completely different journey. And we're going to talk a little bit about your journey in the second half of the show. But, you know, you came over from Apia, you know, went to a non-traditional rugby school. Caleb, you know, was brought up here in New Zealand, you know, went to Mags, which is a more traditional rugby school. So with his journey being really different to yours... What's your role been in um, sort of helping Caleb on his way? Well, as, as a parent, I mean, the, you you want to provide your children everything that you didn't have um, that growing up. One of the things for me that I would kind of kept an eye on with all our kids was, and that I wanted to, I, I felt was always going to be good for them, is getting them involved in athletics. Yeah. Um, just teaching them the ability to run. I mean, we were all natural runners. We just, with yeah. speed that we had, it was all natural. It wasn't trained. So, and I realized I learned very late in my career, having trained with some really amazing athletic trainers, Kerry Hill, um, Keith Roberts, um, some of these really amazing people that really taught you how to run. And what that did was obviously it, 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 it then re, it, it translated into speed, speed on the track, speed on the field. So one of the things that I, I really wanted to, to, to gift my, my children was with the natural gift of speed that they had from their parents and their DNA, I wanted to make sure that they also knew how to run fast. And so Caleb was with his siblings. I put them through athletics and it was so, so thankful that it translated really well onto the rugby field as well. So I think that's part of the things. That encouragement for them as well was always there. Um, the the good old traditional drive homes from the games. <laughs> <laughs> got, a, got a little intense a few times and emotional looking over at him, how's it going? And But I think those are, those are some of the things that helps Caleb to also to grow and to understand and also build resiliency um, and as well. And it wasn't always, he wasn't always successful as he was coming through. So in some of those years that he really had to learn just from through injuries and disappointment, yep. um, how to push through those things as well. So I think that's, that was important even at that age, not just for rugby and sport, but actually for life. Because at the end of the day, Rob, I mean, the, the greatest gift that we want to give our children is to be able the ability to win in life. And so I think um, sport is a wonderful, um, um, environment to be able to help them to, to translate that into life and that's what I, I kind of really make it but it, it just warms your heart though when they're out oh, on yeah. the field and they're doing the things that you know that they can do and they've been blessed to do so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, mate it's so good and there's, uh, you haven't had to um, you know, pop a few YouTube clips on every now and again just to let them know you know the old man could play <laughs> as well, You know, he's not got too big for his boots, he managed to keep him grounded He tells that story um, <laughs> as well that he didn't realise that, well, because we didn't tell our kids they were, we were all bl- I was oh, an all black and yep. other things as well because they were just always around the environment and it wasn't until these kids at school had showed him this book and with with his dad and he realised 
dad. <laughs> so it was just that, that sort of thing, you know. And um, so yeah, you know, it's he he knows. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't had to pull out the uh, the clips just yet, but I mean. It's been awesome, and it's been. I mean, you're there, um, you know, every day. Um, so perhaps the the rise has not been a rapid, but he's been involved with the New Zealand Sevens, and he yes. and he absolutely blew it up there, which was awesome. And then last year, off the bench debut down at Wellington, um, was everyone there? Were all the clerks there to support? Most of the clerks were there. Yep. I mean, his papa was there. Um, so mum and dad, his, his, unfortunately, his, his nana um, on my wife's side, she couldn't make it down, but certainly she was there at Eden Park. So the whole, you know, we were all there in, in numbers at Eden Park for that one. So um, yeah, it was. But seeing him on his debut, the, you know, as a father, <laughs> one as a, as a as a father, you're like, come on, son, do your best. But obviously, as a as an ex rugby player, you're kind of thinking, don't make mistakes, come on, don't, don't drop the ball, all those sort of things. And you want them to play well, and you want them to be successful even on his debut and yeah we thought he did really well oh mate and you touched on a little bit there his second game um, and when he got the start at Eden Park against Australia a field you've played so many matches on and and had so many big games on so many successes on to have the the roles reversed and for you to be up in the stands and the the cameras flick to you every now and again um, big smile on the face but um, you must have been nervous, but I suppose those nerves were settled by the way he played because he had a blinder, an absolute blinder that day. And and I think Darnier got a standing ovation as he came from the field after 65 <laughs> minutes, which is oh, man, that's, what that's was not that? a bad I didn't shout, is it? About that sort of thing, but <laughs> yeah, we're really, really proud. And I think the the one thing it's now, of course, you you make your mark, you've set your standard, um, and now you really can't. I think Caleb's the, the only thing now is never to go below that standard. You either got to meet that standard or go push it even higher. And um, yeah, but that day was a really proud day for all of our family, um, and of course for and of course for Pasifika, it just kind of reminded me of something my mother said to me when I first made the All Blacks. She said to me, "Son, that every Pacific person can flick up their collar and say that's a brother," yep. and I and I, I got a sense of that what she meant. That it's the same way that I felt when I first watched Sir Brian Williams. And that sense of wow, that's a Pacific person, and that's that's he's Samoan, and he's he looks like me. He, he and so I think that's the the same sort of thing that people see. I, I realize when when I um, donned the black jersey, and I I suppose the other thing too that when Caleb pulls on that black jersey too, that he's an inspiration to not just the Pacific community, but every young person like all of us used to be who who aspire to want to play for the All Blacks, that he's doing the same thing as well. So, yeah. Mate, and I suppose in some ways um, that's what you're trying to create off the field, isn't it? Like we do gravitate to people who look like ourselves, for better or worse, but like if you can create an environment, some boardrooms, some management roles, some government roles where you're starting to see people be successful that look like you, um, that can become aspirational and we can have success for the Pacifica community on and off the field. And I suppose that's in some ways that's you and Caleb working together, isn't it? He's he's the on-field inspiration and, and you have the opportunity to try and inspire some of our older Pacifica community to get involved in the running of the game. Absolutely. And, that, and it's a, I suppose it's, it's the privilege that we have, but it's also an expectation on us by our communities to continue to forge ahead and open those, create those pathways as our parents did. So it really is generational, yeah. Rob. So it's a, but it's one of those things that can, whoo, you, you got to take a deep <laughs> breath and go, okay, it's my turn now. So you go and do the work. And I think that's, but it's also too, it's a privilege. It's an absolute privilege to be able to do that for our communities and for our families.
Awesome. Thank you. Great first half of the show. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back in the second half of the show. We're going to look at the life and times of Ronnie Clark, which is a, an awesome and story career. All Blacks with the sun behind them and it's Clark chopping the field, breaking tackles again. You've got to keep moving forward, but Coles works away to the blind side. Smith gets it away and Clark diving for the corner. Now, did he ground it? That is the question. Awesome, great first half of the show, Ronnie, and now it's time to talk a lot more about yourself, mate. And I know you're a humble man, so <laughs> I'm going to have to probably drag it out of you a little bit. But um, you talked a little bit um, in the first part of the show about coming over from Sma- from Apia. Um, you know, what was early life like for you? Because that's a change of scenery to come into the big smoke of Auckland. Was it, um, you know, did you thrive straight away or take it, take a bit of a adaption? I, I, I probably... Take you back to actually living in Oweraka, um, coming We'd been in New Zealand now for about four years, and it was that game. It was that game at Eden Park. Yep. So there was a real buzz in the house. I remember that day. His dad sat my brother and I down, and he said, "Boys, we're going to watch the All Blacks play." And he said, "Watch that number. Watch the number 11. That's Dad's words. So as we watched him, BG scored two tries in that game. They smashed. Uh, they smashed Scotland. And of course, I was absolutely captivated as they dived in the water and splashing all over the place. And I quickly turned to my dad and I said to Dad, "Dad, how do you become an All Black?" And <laughs> Dad just turned to me and he said, "Son, you have to be brainy." And <laughs> there's a his, there's a there's a kind of a story behind that because I mean, again, with every story, every narrative of our of our Pacific families coming to New Zealand, that education was going to be the pathway right. for us to go and have a better life. And then of course. And that was Dad's plan anyway. But the, the the reality of that moment for me was that a dream was born in my heart that this that I could possibly play for the greatest rugby team in the world, be like BG, be like Brian Williams, and play for the All Blacks one day. And so that kind of really started it from there from me. We when we came from Samoa, we started in Mangele, Mangele. We moved then to Kingsland, and from Kingsland to Oweraka, then Oweraka to to West Auckland, Henderson, where we did a lot of my growing and schooling as well. So that's how I kind of went that pathway for me. And like the the one thing Pacifica players have in spades is is size and speed, and they can smile at you off the field and then absolutely touch <laughs> you in half on the field. It's like it kills me. You know, you stole everything in the gene pool, but. Um, you know, was it was it obvious from an early age mm. to yourself or your family that you know a Ronnie he has he is a big guy he is fast like he has um, got potential to be a good footy player or was it just out there having fun with friends for a start and and you know in West Auckland Henderson High School yeah. just a great environment. Yeah, absolutely. It started that way, as we do as kids. It's, it goes from bull rush, bull <laughs> rush into rugby. Oh, you know, God, you would have been good at bull rush. I was so oh. good, and I, I just it's something that that I loved about it because I realised I was good at this. I could step off both feet. I had a bit of speed there too. Something that we used to do as kids growing up when we were living in Oiraka, we had this huge area at the back in the backyard of all of these units that we used to live in, and it's a big grass area. And down the on the sides of the grass area were these pathways. And as kids, we used to line up on each side and just be racing each other <laughs> down these, these pathways and it obviously really got us into running and speed and everything else which then quickly went onto the field and we played bull rush in the middle of that field there stepping and everything else so it really started coming natural and I really started to notice I'm really good at this I, <laughs> I, I could boy it, it just came natural and then it was after that game I watched in BG that I followed my cousin one day he was going somewhere and I said to him, where are you going? So I'm going to training. I had no idea what training was. But we turned up in this field, and I go with them, this field, and all these kids are running around, and they're chasing that same um, shape ball that BG was playing, and I saw just the other day. And, and I thought, wow. 
And then as I stood there watching my cousin, the coach stood by and said, hey, son, do you want to play? And I thought, yeah, sure. So I got involved, and I remember getting the ball, and the first touch of the ball, Rob, there was a sidestep there. <laughs> Bit of burst of speed there, and I remember running towards the, towards the try line as BG did, and as I dived over this line, I get up and I think, yeah, feeling proud of myself, <laughs> I just scored a try. I need to get tackled and hit by some of the kids, and I, and I said, what? what? Hey. The coach, as I got up, the coach, I said to the coach, coach, I, I scored the try. The coach looked at me and said, son, that's not the try line, that's the 22. And I kind of thought, okay, I'm learning this game. I'm, okay, I'm learning this game. I'm rules. learning this game. Goddamn yeah, rules. What's that? <laughs> Didn't have that before. Well, no, well, this is this game. But it kind of really started to signal for me that, okay, one, hey, I, I like this game. And so soon after that, Dad got us involved in playing, and so we, we joined a team, got involved, and so it started for us then. And then we moved out to West Auckland, where we grew up and play, played club rugby at suburbs as a, as a little kid at Avondale, and um, and it just continued on. Went to by that stage, then we were older. We went to Henderson High, and um, yeah, and that kind of rugby continued on from there. But it did it like Henderson High. Um, you know, perhaps it wasn't the same back then, but. Um, with your son going to Mags, which is a bit more of a traditional rugby school, mm. we get so many great rugby players from our non-traditional rugby schools, and you're another one. When you know, when did you realise that you could? You're like, shit, I'm not too bad at this. You know, I'm I'm quick. I can change direction. Um, but was there? Did you still? When did you start thinking that rep rugby, yeah. at least in the first step, yeah. was an option? Because you know, you probably weren't as a 14, 15, 16 year old playing Kings or Grammar or or some of that stuff we see now. So. When did that, that fun and, and that love for the game um, turn into, oh, I, I could I actually could um, play for Auckland or, or do some of those things that BG had done? It's a good, good really good question there because it, it actually started from real disappointment. <laughs> of course, we you know we had the, the roller mills back in those days, yes. just 12-year-olds, and, and I remember turning up to the first roller mills <laughs> trials. And I stepped on the scales. I was too heavy. I was just too heavy for the roller mills. They didn't have the Bill McLarens back in those days. Yeah, and so, yeah. as a kid, disappointment that I couldn't couldn't play in the roller mills. Oh, no, because that's too such heavy. a big thing, isn't it? It's Absolutely. Massive. And yeah. it kind of really starts to signal a pathway there for you. But so that that was really disappointing. Then going on to going on to Henderson High School, we were a second division, yep. you know, B team, first fifteen. But the thing that was really great was a, as a junior was I was inspired by a couple of seniors that were at our school that year. The seniors were Michael Jones oh, wow. and Timo Tangaloa. So watching our first fifteen, seeing these two being amazing on the field, that continued to feed that 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 dream and continue to feed that fire. And I started playing um, a couple of games at school in the junior grades and still that, that ability to step, the ability to, to beat players, the ability with speed um, was still there. And I remember um, under 16 was probably the first time I had actually trialled for an Auckland team. I, 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 I trialled that year in my first year as a, as a 15-year-old. And I turned up to the trials and one of the, the coaches turned and he said to, he said to all of the boys, he goes, I don't want to see anybody tearing off down the field by themselves and scoring tries. And in my mind, what that said to me was, I'm not allowed to do what I've been gifted to do. So when we played that trials, I made a break. I ran through and there's that voice. So I turned, <laughs> turned to look for my wingers who were back there. And I still threw this crazy, insane pass. Didn't go anywhere. And, you know... Of course, I went on to there, didn't make the team that year. Coachable. That says to me you're coachable. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of looking at it. So the, the following year, I came back and turned up to the next trial under 16s, determined not to make that same mistake, that I was just going to go on instinct and do what I wanted to do. I made it in that year. 
and which was really great. We had guys like um, Craig Innes, we had Inga yeah. Muller that was with us as well, that that were in that team, and um, and so it it really started the that reps and the hunger. Auckland were doing, of course, Auckland was dominating in those those late eighties as well, and so watching that continue that 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 inspiration, that desire to push towards that dream. And um, I remember then trialling for the Auckland Secondary Schools for the first first time, so I was quite nervous. And all the all the kids at, and um, I turned up to, that morning. I remember getting well, I was late for school, and I quickly packed the kit, got in, went went wafted <laughs> to school. I went anyway. My mum and dad came and picked me up after school. We went to the trials. We turned up at King's College. I get out and we all the, we were getting all our kit out. And as I was getting dressed, I put my jersey on, put my got my socks. But when I pulled my shorts out, they were these pink bloomer shorts, oh, these no. pink bloomer shorts that you know you get punished if you don't bring your PE gear. <laughs> and I don't know how they got in my bag. But anyway, that day, I, I quickly ran out of the change room and I said to my mum, "Mum, mum, can we get home? I've got these, these these shorts. I don't know how they got in my bag. I must have grabbed it." And mum says, "Son, just didn't miss a beach." Said, "Son, wear them." you'll make you stand out. <laughs> so as a good son, I put those on that day and I played <laughs> the, Auckland, the Auckland Secondary Schools trials in those pink bloomer shorts. Hey, I must have worked, bro, because I made it that day too. So uh, it was, You was have good. to play well if you're going to wear pink bloomer shorts in a trial. <laughs> don't you? I reckon you absolutely ripped it up. Must have. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, mate, that is a hell of a lesson to learn, isn't it, around putting your... I bet you that never happened again. But, um... You know, it wasn't too long after that you did get into the Auckland environment. Um, and as you as you pointed out, like unbelievably successful period. Like as you're coming through, surely Sir Michael and and Inga and these guys must have been moving on from BG, being more of an inspiration for you to see. Wow, those guys from you know Sir Michael from Wider Wider Matter as yeah. well outside um, where you grew up. So really inspirational. But was it? Um, I think when you did you come in in the early nineties? Was it? Yep. So I, I made it BG and Morris Trap were still the coaches at awesome. that time. So I was, it was actually it was them that opened the door for me. I, I played sevens when sevens was the kind of the the the, the, the pre um, uh, pre season build up for you for fifteens if you like back in those days. So I went to the sevens. We went down to the national tournament. We won it there, and it was kind of my introduction into that kind of that level, that elite level of rugby in New Zealand. So having played sevens, winning the tournament, and then not long after that, the Auckland 15 team were assembling, and I see my name there to, you know, to, to go along as the, as the wider squad, and I turn up, and there they are. The Wettons, <laughs> uh, McDowell, Foxy. Fitzpatrick, Foxy, Joe Stanley, John Kerwin, Terry Wright, yep. and, you know, and... There's me. <laughs> wow. So, and that was that was really kind of the the start of it for me with just being in that environment and that the dream. And those days, you always knew, Rob. You know, if you make the Auckland A team, you're a half step away from making the All Blacks. And so, it just it, it really continued to fuel that dream. And what was interesting, though, the first game um, for Auckland that year was against um, Nelson Bays, and um, I thinking that I wasn't going to be part of that squad at all, but Bernie McCarhill had, had, had injured himself um, in one of the preseason games. And so I BGS approached me and said, Ronnie, you'd probably be on the bench. And I went, wow, wow, I'm going to be on the bench. Wow, wow, I'm going to be on the bench. And then on the Thursday night, um, the last training for the week, he came to me and said, Ronnie, look, you're not going to be on the bench. You're going to start. Oh, sweaty palms. <laughs> Whew, now that I was, you know, foxy on the year and, whoa, you got... Craig Guinness out there, wow, this is going to be so cool. 
And it was my first game for Auckland down in Nelson Bays. But I think the significant part of that day was it was JK's 100th game for oh, Auckland. Wow. Wow. So it was quite a, you know, it was, it was really quite special. It? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, special. But was there, um, you know, you're obviously very aware um, of the success of that team. I think Auckland won 11 of the 15 NPC competitions between 82 and 95, which is phenomenal. 61 Shield um, defences, you know, the most that there's ever been. Did you feel a bit of pressure coming into that environment? You know, was it a, was it a welcoming environment? Because the thing you hear these days about a lot of a lot of footy teams is is the real effort yep. um, to bring in new players, integrate them, so they can thrive straight away. Yep. What was it like then? Because yep. that was amateur then. You know, it wasn't professional, and not necessarily the amount of resource um, goes into the team. So. Was it still a welcoming environment? Yeah, it was still the traditional hierarchy that existed. <laughs> uh, the back seat was still there, and yep. it's and run by the back seat. Everything off field was run by the back seat <laughs> as well. So the social styles were run by the back seat too. So, I mean, and you really knew your place. Yep. <laughs> you really and you were often if you if you made the mistake of being in the wrong place at the wrong time, you were told that yep. those very swiftly. Um, but but the, I suppose the wonderful thing about it is those having great guys in there that mentored me is like like Bernie McCarhill and having Joe Stanley and having others of my age group like Inger and Posty that were there at the same time as well. They've been around there in that environment now for a little while. And of course, Sir Michael was in there too. That made things a lot more, that transition into the team a lot more easier as well. So, but... I suppose the wonderful thing about it, though, was that even though you've had these, you know, I, I was I had some great people that really helped me to to integrate into the into the environment. Uh, there was still a standard. Yep. There was that standard that you had to meet as a player, and so I think that was the expectation also on each other that if you do your job, it wasn't. Then we knew that more times than not, the the, the score would look after itself, and it was amazing that I really realised that this team was, or, though with amateur um, status in terms of, um, of, 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 of the, the, the game, but they were already professional in their approach. Yeah, I've, Really, really professional. I've heard that a few times. It was a professional, ama- uh, professional attitude in an amateur environment, yep. which is something that Auckland had perhaps in front of others. Um, mate, you ended up playing 150 games for Auckland, over 70 tries, hell of a career. You must have... Um, you know, like you say, that hierarchy proved yourself through your deeds early on, um, coming to the side after a great Joe Stanley, wasn't he such a fantastic player for Auckland Absolutely. and the Blues. But I want to focus on a, on a couple of um, games in particular because the one thing you do notice when you look back at, at the clips, uh, 93 Shield game where the, the era ended um, to mm. Waikato, just how many people were there and just how tribal it is. And then you look at the 95 game, um, as well, when you took the shield off Canterbury, yeah. you can't get any more people into what was Lancaster Park at the time. Like yeah. that must have been pretty cool, um, playing effectively in front of Test match intensity crowds as a young man. Great feeling, great, great feeling. It was, and you know, you you, you really got a taste of how hated <laughs> <laughs> a real feeling of how how really hated Auckland was around New Zealand. It I'm was from Canterbury, mate, and I, I, I mean, hate's a strong word. Hate's yeah. a strong word, but I was on the bank at uh, in 95 when you guys absolutely mauled Canterbury, took Mertz to pieces, and yeah, yeah I didn't like the blue and white hoops at that stage, that's for sure. No, and it was, it, we, we knew we were in for a game, but we just, I think we were desperate. We were probably more desperate that, 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 that day to really win it back. It kind of reminded me of the, what was it, 86? 85. 85? Yeah, down so there. So it was, that was, I mean, huge as well. I mean, as a kid, I was watching that game yep. too, and, and playing in the environment in 95, and kind of a similar feel, similar bumper crowd as well, um, in that cauldron <laughs> at, at, at Lancaster Park was huge. So it was. They were great games, that and great days of rugby too. 
something I've heard you talk about before is, um, you know, you were part of an era, still huge amount of success for Auckland um, through that period, but it was um, it was starting to see that evolution in the makeup of the team, much more Pacifica players being involved. Mm-hmm. And I've heard you speak a little bit about um, Sir Ted, about Graham, um, how when you first entered the team, yep. you know, he had perhaps a more an old school mentality, yeah. but to his credit, he adapted. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was really fortunate to have um, even Ted as a, as a coach through the Colts. Yep. And um, he had a one style fits all type <laughs> of coaching style. And, um, and so, you know, and of course, when he then came into, I was now with Auckland, I'd been in Auckland with Auckland, with the A team a couple of years before Ted came and took over. But of course he had all these aging greats, you yeah. know, and so the succession planning had to really come into play there as he started to, to, to let these these greats go and to, and of course bring in a whole new crop of young players that will hopefully take Auckland, continue to take Auckland into the into the next uh, next decade. But a lot of those young guys that, that he brought in were many were Māori and Pacific, but and some of the boys that he started to though that style of coaching that Graham had it really kind of, it, it was just barking and just really, <laughs> you know, um, expecting that everybody wasn't going to get motivated. But it wasn't happening for particularly some of the Pacific boys. And they were making these uncharacteristic mistakes and things that he kind of never saw, uh, after, you know, when, he, when he'd selected them. So he started to drop some of these boys. But obviously this had to, he, he asked Michael, so Michael and I, he said to us, how do I get the best out of the Pacific boys? And so we did. We sat down and we talk about cultural competency and cultural awareness. We we just started talking to him about this is the mindset of a Pacific person. When you're shouting and swearing, I mean, they're thinking that the, the coach doesn't like me. I've done something wrong. And with that pressure and every other pressure that's on them externally that comes on them too, they're making these mistakes. And so for Graham, he's really stopped to think about as he's looking at the landscape of his team that it is changing and he was in direct influence of that. And at the same time, too, he realised in terms of best practice that it was probably one of the worst things that he was he was doing. So to his credit, and I, I really have a lot of admiration for, for, for Ted in that, he realised that his, he changed his whole philosophy of rugby. He changed his approach um, as, he, as, as he started to try and embrace the whole team. And, and so it was, it was quite amazing, the, the, the change that came over him and the way that he did his style of coaching had changed to, to embrace everyone. And yeah. it worked. And look at the fruits of it yourself, uh, Andrew Blowers, Charlie Rickleman, yep. Wasaki Satutu, just so many good so players many of Māori and Pacifica through. descent came through that period, wasn't it? I want to talk a little bit about that transition from amateur to professional. Mm. You know, almost overnight it felt like, you know, it was 1995 or an amateur game, 1996 were a professional game. Mm. You were right in the mix of it. You know, you did your first four or five years as a player as an amateur. And then overnight it's professional and you could probably buy a new car. Is that what you did? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> well, not the new car. <laughs> but absolutely, it, it did come really come like overnight. I mean, you know, first you're, you're, you're working nine to five, five days a week. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, and training on a Tuesday, Thursday night, the next thing you know, it's all stopped. That's yep. all as you realise that the commitment to, to rugby, it, it included five days a week of it. So it really flipped things around. And of course, we all didn't know what to expect of what yep. professional rugby was going to be like. And um, it was, but it was exciting. It was yeah. really, really exciting. And so um, playing that first game in Palmerston North against the Hurricanes, you know, it was just I think the whole rugby world held its breath to really kind of see how is this going to happen? How is this going to come out? It's like those two teams signed a contract as well to play one hell of a good game. Like it was open. There were some amazing tries. When you think about the players involved, yourself, Spencer, yep. Christian Cullen, you know, mm. Iramia, like amazing. Jonah, Tana. Oh, oh. mate. You know, like what a group of players to sort mm. of kick off in your era of um, – of not just a new competition, but a whole new era of rugby. It must have been 
pretty awesome. But you experienced real success. You know, 96, mm. uh, won the first inaugural Super Rugby over Natal. 97, um, you know, beat the Brumbries. 98, Crusaders got gotcha. you. Yeah. But, um, you know, was that um, anything stick out for you as, as why you had that success or it was just um, just a great time in your career? Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, you know, that we... The, the that that season, you know, really kind of um, the game that we played, it was quite amazing. We we felt that we'd won the Super Rugby, the inaugural Super Rugby, when we were in Natal, and um, there was that sense of that we we're going to take this. It was that game that we played against the Sharks in Durban um, that we came. I think we we scored a try in the last yeah, minute, yeah. and it was a must win game. We'd already been there a couple of weeks. We thought we'd, we we were supposed to, we we played the Gauteng in the middle of the week earlier, thinking that we just had to show up and we'd beat them. But they because they were at the bottom of the table and they they smashed us, which then put us down to third or, or fourth us third, and we realised that if we wanted to have a home semi final, we have to beat the Sharks. And so it, we were absolutely desperate because, and one of the things that, that kind of brought everything to a head was Graham Henry, after we lost against the goal team, something was not right within the team. There was, it just had that feeling that the, the, the wheels were beginning to really shake and, and if it just kept on going the way it was, it could fall off. And Graham Henry brought us into the room the night after the, the Gelting Lions and we said, we're going to sort whatever this is, whatever this is that's just happening in this team here, we're going to sort it out right now. We're not going to leave until we sort it out. So the room was pretty quiet for a little while as we kind of looking around, okay? And what was kind of made, the first thing that came out was, Zinni, why did you kick the ball? And that really kind of really brought everything to an open. And what that really referred to was the game against Queensland. Um, we got smashed by 50 points oh, wow. in, Dur in, um, in Brisbane. Brisbane. And the plan was, the plan was that Zinni said, okay, boys, uh, Queens is going to kick off. They're going to kick it deep. We've done our homework. I'm going to get it, and we're going to run. We're going to run. So get behind me, and we're going to run, and we're going to attack them right from the start. So they kick off, sure enough. It gone deep where Zinni was. Zinni catches the ball. We're already behind him, and Zinni kicks the ball out. And we're all standing there shocked. They get the ball, and they chuck it in quick, bomb it back at us. We're still shocked that Zinni, and they bombed it. It hit bounces on the ground. They regather and score in the corner. Oh, no. And so we are now, we're really kind of reveling backwards. We're thinking, what happened? So, And that kind of really stuck. It did something in the boys that kind of really kind of unnerved us. But although we'd, we'd got to ourselves um, weeks later into a position where we could have a home semi-final, but after losing Gauteng and Graham put us in that room, he says, right, let's sort this out now. It's amazing, like, because obviously too, you know, Zinni's such an influential person within that side at the time as well. Like, he had so much mana and respect. Absolutely. But also, it must have been, like now, it's down to an exact science going on the road to Africa, you know. But back mm. then it was almost, you know, trailblazing, weren't you? Like yeah. trying to figure out how to spend a couple of weeks away That's from right. home, That's condition right. yourself properly um, to be on the road. They, hugely competitive teams. That was some of the most exciting stuff in the early years of Super Rugby was the fact you got to see these players you'd never seen before or That's not right. much of from Africa. Yeah. Um, so it must have been pretty challenging. And, to, you know, perhaps it's... Not as big a thing now, but to get a win on the road in those days was massive, wasn't it? Oh, I think the best that we've ever done in South Africa on the road has one win, one draw. That's yep. the best that we did yep. in our time in South Africa. Getting two wins is just, you've, oh, that's, that's really awesome. The, the, Rob, I just kind of brought that thing with Zinni was because after that night when we 
they Graham had put us together and that came up. We were able to talk about things that, you know, that really impacted us. And what that did for the team, though, it pulled us together. Yep. And it, I think that's when a team pulls together in that way, there is just nothing that, that you won't do for each other. So that uh, that weekend when we went and played against Natal, we were going to go to the war for each other and run through that war for each other. We were going to get that win and come home. So after when we won it in that last minute, we came home, there was just this sense of nothing's going to stop us. Brilliant. So, of course, we played the Blue Bulls at home in the semi. And then, of course, and then we played, of course, met the Sharks again um, at home. So that was the thing about it. And you kind of asked that question, what was it for you guys? Well, also too, they were everyone was a everyone was a leader. Everyone was also competitive. There were yep. the team was full of competitors. That you know the guys that can't switch the competitive um, button <laughs> yeah. off when you're even when you're waiting for the the the, 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 the flight or something <laughs> like that. Someone's got to get up. Okay, here's the here's the game. Here's the game, mate. It's almost that early adaption again, though, isn't it? Because these days it's you know it sounds like it's common practice for players to give feedback for teams to assess how they're feeling, like what's going on, get the mood of the team um, as as accurate as you possibly can, but that was still, um, you know, that was a different time back then and, and we're really still developing those sorts of practices. So it shows, yeah. I think, that, that Ted was an early adapter with a number of things, wasn't he, as a coach? He was very innovative and he, he'd, he'd really do the job of, of, you know, of a team of, you know, he'd, he'd do the anal, anal, analyst, he'd do the, yeah. he'd the analysing of the opposition, he'd already worked out then their, their team patterns. So by the time you, you turned up to training the following week, after you've done your debrief, He'd already really had, had worked out the team. But, of course, he'd just coached in a style that would also, there was a real trust factor between Ted and the players that, yes, that um, here's the plan, but within that plan, you express yourself as well. And I think that's what's really important, that he trusted the players enough, even if the plan wasn't working on the field, to make that on-field changes. And the maturity of the team at that time, those years, was I mean, Zinni, Fitzy, yeah. Sir Michael, all these, they were able to make those change of decisions very, very quickly. Mate, for you to go back a little bit, All Black debut, um, what do we remember? Was it on the radio? Was it on the TV? Did someone give you a phone <laughs> call? Everyone's experience is a little bit different. You know, yeah. were, were you listening? Were you hoping? We were at the, the trials. The trials were held in Napier, and um, there was a, I think there were, there were four, there were, uh, two trials at that uh, that competition. There was uh, at that at the trial. So we had a team of four that played the first game, and out of those 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 two games, there'll be um, a selection of two teams that'll play on the Saturday. And so um, I obviously I'd done well enough to to play in the Saturday game, and um, we were the Saracens playing against what was, and we were told very clearly that that was the Shadow Test Fifteen right. that we were going to be playing. Who are you marking? I was marking. Uh, Buncey. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I was at second five, Buncey Legend. was at second. And um, and so Mark Ellis and I were the midfield for the Saracens. And we we knew that the only way that we were going to ever push our, um, really our, 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 our opportunity here was that we, we had to win. And it was quite amazing too that, um, you know, we, the team, we, we just knew what we had to do. It was really good, really well that we did to really pull together as a team very, yeah. very quickly. And uh, and we did well. We, I, I scored a try in that game. I think Mark Ellis scored a try. We And Lolangi Koko uh, yeah, scored yeah. a try. And it was amazing that we really, we, we come through and won the, the, the trial. Which And then hearing our names get called out straight after that. And my family were there with me as well, which was really, really amazing. So an amazing moment for us too, especially in Napier where a lot of our Clark's family are. Oh, wow. 
So it was it was quite a moment. It was a really great moment. And that was for the series against the World 15. That was the series of the World 15. Mate, that was awesome. I remember, I actually remember a lot of that as a young man. I remember Yoshi Shahida's try where he dived full length. Straight, to, to straight past me, actually. <laughs> I, I stopped to see just in case the ball hit the crossbar and Yoshi just died. <laughs> and I thought, wow. <laughs> and I, I did consider that, but I thought, no, it might just hit the bar. And look at yeah. that. He got the treats. Yeah. But because um, you dropped the you dropped the first test, didn't you, in that series, and then and then you came back strong, and you know what was those first experiences for you like? Was it all done in a flash, and you can't remember a thing, or or were you able to um, you know get a couple of carries and a couple of good hits in and, and establish yourself <laughs> in the game? I, I was I was on the bench for the first test, and of course those days you know they, yep. we didn't have the subbing on no. and off, so no one got injured in the midfield. So I but then I started my I, I debuted in Wellington. And um, it was a great feeling. Of course, every kid, as you watch, you watch the haka, you watch the national anthem, and then the All Blacks play, and it's just, it's amazing. And there I am, I'm, I'm doing the same thing. I've got the jersey on, I'm singing the national anthem, I'm doing the haka. It's <laughs> just, uh, it's just surreal. And of course, and you're playing against the World 15, yeah, you know, it's, it's like these guys want to spoil the party here. So I'm not going to, you know, so not, not on my watch. And um, it was a big pressure too, because you lost the first test yeah. at home. And, you yeah. know, ideally we don't do that. No, so, that's right. you know, you had to come on for the second test and try and right the ship. Yep. And so it was great. I mean, I, I, we, obviously there was the resolve in the, in, in the All Blacks team at that time was just, right, that's it. It's mongrel dog from here. So... It should have been there in the you know at the beginning, but we just said no. That's it. Let's let's write this, and so it was great. The All Blacks just started up on another level that 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 day, and um, got a couple of tries in that in my debut, which was amazing and wonderful too. So I think and just finishing and and beating the World Fifteen really quite convincingly that day, really kind of just for a lot of us debutants there, it was just a great feeling. Um, and having family again, it's you know it's all about family. Yeah, yeah, it is, Dad was there, and it was it was a great feeling too. So, mate, probably the other probably the other biggest milestone in your in the in the black jersey was um, the Lions came here in in 1993, and we talked to Foxy a little bit about it. But um, and his memory's fading. But uh, <laughs> it's it's a big show, isn't it? You know, like um, you played in some really really big matches, Shield games, etc., against Waikato and the one down in Christchurch. But um, it's up another level for the Lions, isn't it? And and again. Um, you know, we didn't have it all our own way that series, and there was a no. huge amount of pressure on. That's right, and uh, you know, it's and there are there are games that you always remember. There's, there's and against teams that you want to play against, yep. like South Africa, um, like and of course the Lions being one of them as well. And so, you know, playing the Lions was a was a great feeling. You you, you watch them on you know Six Nations rugby, yeah. and you're like now you're up against a few of them, and it's and it's great. Um, I I played the the first test um, and all the first couple of tests. So it, it, the second test that we we lost, it was just <laughs> it was gutting. Or oh, we we won the second test. I think we lost the first one. Did we lose? Yeah. No, we won the first one, lost the second one. And of course, then we had the the big decider at I think the first part. one was really tight down in Christchurch, and Foxy got a penalty on penalty four halfway. Time to win. They played right. really well in the second test, cleaned us up. Yep. Back to Eden Park, your home deck. Yep. Um, desperately needed the win. I yep. think that's what it was. So but Lee Stensness, I think maybe. Yes, it was. So it was Stainless came on there. I wasn't playing, I think. <laughs> so it was it was great. It was great to be able to to play the Lions. Um, I think I got an opportunity to play them twice, I think, over the years, which was amazing. And, um, yeah, it was just a great feeling. 
Mate, as, um, I'm not sure of the background here, but 1995 World Cup, everyone loves to get along to a World Cup. You must have been close. I haven't. I couldn't find too much information on it, but uh, I see, you know, obviously, Little and Bunts are, you know, big names, yeah. you know, um, you know, really, really good All Blacks in such a competitive spot in the team at the time. I think Alama might have been taken as the, yeah. the backup midfielder. Were you close? Were you fit? Were you gutted? You know, what was the situation there? Yeah, no, I was, I was, I was there and thereabouts. Um, I, you know, there's, there's always those things that you, you watch over the years. I, 91, I, I, I didn't, I didn't play, um, didn't, wasn't selected. 95, not, you know, that was a, that was a real tough one, particularly being in South Africa as well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, 99, I, you know, I got back in the All Blacks again in '98, and so I was the incumbent. Yeah. And um, but then I blew my Achilles in the first game of the oh, Super Rugby that, no. that year. But in terms of time wise, I was still right to come back. But it, obviously, it didn't happen again. Um, but yeah, I think that's probably one of the things that in my my career, Rob, that I kind of look back and think, well, you know, World yeah. Cups. You know, not, yeah. you know, that was that's a that was uh, something that obviously for me just have a. Um, to look back and think, oh well, I, but I, I think if I think about it and I look th- back at my whole career, um, that just even coming back in the All Blacks again, um, that '95 to '98 um, time kind of felt like in the wilderness; it just wasn't there. But yep. then getting back in the All Blacks at that time was an amazing feeling. So that was, I think, for me, almost like it was almost up there with making it for the first time again. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was yeah. great. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it must have been you. You were such a strong player through that '96 and '97 seasons for the Blues. So that obviously what drove your selection or reselection again in the All Blacks in '98, which is awesome. Yeah. And it's awesome to hear you speak about it like that. And while you didn't win this game, you bloody should have. But um, <laughs> the '98 game against the Africa at Durban that you played—that's yes. another one where I just looked at that on the um, on the highlights online. Just forget how feverish um, you know the South African supporters are. Like they, yeah. You guys had the better of them for a lot of that game, and then obviously they came back and didn't score a try on full time to win it. But no. there's um, oh, the, the atmosphere um, from it's, the South African crowd is. Uh, I c- could you even hear yourself trying to make a call with yeah. um, some of the lads? You know, it's incredible. I mean, we you know we when it was I think back to '92. Do you remember we had the Australian tour? Then they the the boycotts were dropped, yes. and so they tagged a three week four week tour right. to South Africa straight after. So we went straight from Australia straight to South Africa. And when we arrived in South Africa, then we we you know we've heard stories about yeah. from from other All Blacks All Blacks who, um, who've told us about South Africa. The amazing thing about the, the South African people and their passion for rugby. When we arrived about three o'clock in the morning, the airport was chocker. It was just people everywhere. Three in the morning, Mate. and they were just it was amazing to see. That it was incredible. They literally just had twelve years in isolation, hadn't they? Twelve years in yep. the wilderness, not playing any rugby anyone, against any, anyone against anyone. So wow. it was quite incredible. So having us arrive, it was just huge. And then, of course, we played Natal that that weekend, and we ran out. The sound was just deafening, yep. and it was just incredible. And I mean, their grounds where we Eden Park was fifty thousand, theirs was seventy five thousand yeah. at Kings Park, and we ran out. It was just incredible. It was deafening. I was thinking, wow. Yeah. And um, and then, but Natal ran out. The cheer just went straight <laughs> through me, <laughs> for, and I can't. I can't even think. For most of that game, I couldn't hear a thing, yeah. and just trying to communicate with two players, you're literally shouting at each other. Yeah. And you know, I'm shouting at Buncey. This is the more this call, and it's just incredible. Crazy. It was, and so we really got a taste of just how fanatical 
yeah. South African. They love you before the game. Yeah. They love you after the game. But in that 80 minutes, yeah. it's war. And it's, it's really incredible. Yeah, Mate, what an awesome experience. And, mate, just to finish up in the second half of the show, um, you know, had such a um, decorated professional career um, with the Blues and with the Auckland, with the All Blacks. Took your um, skills overseas for a wee while. And I've heard you speak about... Um, your decision to retire. What drove that decision in the end? Because you had literally been involved in high-performance rugby, amateur or professional, from around 1990 to 2005. So such a massive um, chunk of your life. In the end, what drove your decision to hang up the boots? That's a, Rob, I, um, I, it was, you know, I've always dreamed, I've just talked to you about the, the World Cup. I'd come back to New Zealand um, after playing in Japan and um, I'd get a tap on the shoulder and, you know, I've counties are asking me to come and play for them so when you're kind of playing at that level then you just you consider everything can you can you are you still good enough to play for the All Blacks are you still good enough to those sort of things and so um, the World Cup was coming around and this is in my own heart my own dreams my own goals and um, after the first game of club rugby that I played in I was injured and so but at the same time the following week my daughter was going on camp yep. and she was 10 years old at the time and <coughs> We went on the camp. I was, actually, before I got on the camp, I said to Shekinah, Shekinah, you can have serious mum or hard case dad. Which one do you want to go with? And she goes, I'll take hard case dad. <laughs> so, cool. So off I went with on camp with Shekinah in her class. And while we were there, it was quite incredible. The kids are asleep. The parents are just chatting. And just some of the, 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 the talk that was happening about some of the parents mentioned, gosh, when my kid's 16, I'm kicking him out of the house. And I'm like, wow. Okay, and some of the others, yeah, my daughter's going to be leaving. I just can just see it. And so while I was sitting there, and I started to consider my children, and Shekinah was the eldest of the th- of three of them at that time, I realized I asked myself the question, if I only had five or six years left to really be a father, to be there for my kids, to support them, and that they then I've just got to make these the best years that I can and be there for them. I've really enjoyed my career. I've really enjoyed playing over these years. So it was a decision then, my hopes and aspirations of perhaps playing for the, in a World Rugby World Cup or my kids. And I just weighed these two up and I just went, I choose my kids. And in that moment, Rob, rugby left my heart. Yep. Uh, the desire, the dreams, the aspirations just ended as I, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a cheerleader for my kids. And so I, that, in that moment, I called Siala um, about 10 o'clock at night from Hunua and Papakura and called her and said to her, Siala, I've got, got something to tell you. She said, what is it? And I burst into tears. And I said to her, I'm ready to finish now. And she went, what? What? Are you sure? Are you sure? I said, I'm ready to finish. And I told her why. And she was, all right, that's great. And so in Hunua Kampadia, Papakura, yep. that was that, that was your moment. That was my moment, yeah, and well. I took it, and that was that's how I came to that decision. Brilliant. There's um, and they're all still at home, are they? Yeah, it's Chikina's, <laughs> Chikina's 26, and uh, EJ's 23, and Caleb's obviously 22, and then we've now we've had two since then. There's Jaira's 11, and Zion's nine, and all the all of them are at home. Uh, well, they they live at home, so it's um, it's still great. So I must be doing something right, mate. That's a grocery bill, mate. Awesome. <laughs> Mate, thank you so much. Um, you know, such um, you know, such a storied career. Awesome to talk a little bit about that. And you've got so much to share with the Pacifica community in your role. Good luck with that. Love to see uh, more of our Pacifica community 
coaching, managing, selecting around the uh, board table as well, and I think you're the man to do it. So I appreciate your time, mate, and I look forward to catching up again. Thanks, Rob. It's been great. Thanks so much. Cheers, mate.